ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And we want to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and to invite others to live it. Uh, before we get into today's topic, we want to remind you that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, or if you have ideas for future episodes, please feel free to contact us. Two great ways to do that, email and Twitter. The email address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at s as in Sam, f as in Frank, Catholic.org, or you can tweet to us. The diocesan uh, Twitter handle is SFDiocese. Just use the hashtag ignition, and we will find your tweets sent to us via Twitter that way. Hello, Father Dickinson. Hello, Dr. Bergwald. Uh, how are you doing? In, uh, Brooke, in Sioux Falls, for listeners who aren't from the Sioux Falls area or South Dakota, perhaps, um, just over the last weekend as we're recording this at the, uh, early in February, uh, over the weekend we got seven to eight inches here in Sioux Falls, plus blowing into drifts of a couple feet. But from what I hear, Brookings, uh, there's a guy who I know in Brookings who uh, said he didn't have to get his shovel out. Yeah, we had we had nothing up here. I, I was really disappointed. Well, doubly disappointed because my mom had like a foot down in Yankton, and then my brother had eight plus inches in Omaha and even lost power. Oh, that's not fun. Yeah. And so he he, uh, he made his coffee on the grill. <laughs> a coffee on the grill. The, yeah, 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 to me, to me, snow is the only thing that makes uh, a, a winter on the prairie worthwhile. So I'm glad we have some more. Where, where else have you had winter? What? Aside from the prairie, I mean, just you grew up in Minnesota, right? And yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, like, if it weren't for snow, winter would be really bad here. And well, I suppose you could say that, but I mean, that's what I is think. Is it really that bad? It's that's my opinion, and I'm okay. standing sticking to it. And you're entitled to your opinion. Thank you. At least on this matter. Thank you. <laughs> but that's the, we're not here to talk about the weather, even though we managed to do it almost every. Although episode. actually, the weather is. I mean, it's important. It's you know, when the weather's cold. It's good for us to be attentive to those who maybe don't have adequate shelter. Fantastic segue to our real point of conversation. So, yes, those who don't have shelter, um, if, if you are from eastern South Dakota, if you're from uh, this part of the country, you may have heard that recently uh, the Bishop Dudley Hospitality House opened here in Sioux Falls. This is an initiative, a uh, broad community initiative, an ecumenical initiative, but one spearheaded by Bishop Swain and, um, and, and the diocese in many ways, Catholics uh, helping out with, with with others in our community to provide a shelter named after our, our, our pre, a previous bishop, Bishop uh, Paul Dudley, uh, for those who 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 need short-term shelter. So uh, families, men and women um, in Sioux Falls who who don't have another place to go at night um, can can find shelter uh, in in um, in the Bishop Dudley Hospitality House. Father, I don't know if you've have you had a chance to see it since uh, work was completed and since it's opened. No, I haven't, but uh, I'm just really proud of it. I'm proud of uh, the local community, not just the city of Sioux Falls itself, but people from all over yeah. um, for stepping up and supporting it um, uh, and making it, making it, making it happen, getting it off the ground. I mean, this is a pretty quick turnaround. It was maybe about a year or so 
of uh, from uh, at least the public unveiling of it to actually getting it open. It was, and but that's yeah, just little less than a year. In fact, and, and the, that it was Bishop uh, Swain commented on that several times how how proud he was of of the, his his staffers and and others who were involved with the the project to get it off the ground so quickly. And of course, not just the staffers, but the. Um, uh, uh, the the various businessmen and women uh, uh, from uh, not just Catholic faith but all sorts of Christians and probably even some non-Christian faiths uh, who supported it as just a, uh, a a worthy cause and a worthy resource and uh, so just happy to to see that it's just a testimony to the spiritual health of the area in that way when when charity is bearing fruit exactly and and that gets into the the, the larger point which. Um which you had proposed that we discuss for this episode, uh, which I thought was a great idea, the the obligation that we have to to not just uh, I'd put it this way to care for the poor, but even more to love the poor. Um, the the obligation that we as Christians, now specifically talking about um, us as, as Catholics, as followers of Jesus Christ, the obligation that we have to care for and to love those in need around us. Uh, and, and Father, this is obviously something that you know when when you look at the many efforts of the Catholic Church, the Bishop of the Hospitality House and locally, um, think of the, the, the work of, of hospitals locally, uh, regionally, nationally, internationally, the di- all the different ways throughout history the Catholic Church has sought to care for the poor, the suffering, the sick, the, and so on, um, really reflecting that original impetus, that, that command that, that Christ gave to those who seek to follow him. Right, that that to be a follower of Christ is uh, means we're going to have to love the poor. One of my favorite passages that way is uh, Matthew 25. Uh, and this is Jesus teaching towards the end of his public ministry. He's approaching Jerusalem, approaching his crucifixion and death, and he's talking about um, the end of things. And in this particular story, Matthew uh, 25, verses 31 to 46, is about uh, when he will come again in judgment. And uh, the whole idea of uh, uh, when he comes, the Son of Man comes in glory, he will separate uh, uh, the people uh, like a shepherd uh, sep- separates sheep and goats. So the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And to those on his right who are invited to the place of blessedness, it's because uh, they fed him, gave him something to drink, clothed him, gave him shelter, visited him, cared for him. Uh, that that's the qualification of those who enter into uh, the blessed eternal joy of heaven. For the goats on the left, it's because they didn't give him water or food or comfort or visit him. Powerful passage. It is a powerful passage. Uh, again, what 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 is chapter 25? What are the verses once again? Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. You know, that's a... Um... A passage that really has, I mean, the reason we're bringing it up has has motivated so much. And not, I think one could, well, well, we have to do that because if we don't, we're going to go to hell forever. But there's the, there's the, pos- the positive motivation as well to see Christ in those around us, especially those in need. And, and, and we know historically that that, in fact, has been the motivating force, the motivating vector for so much of the charitable work that the church has done. Um, you know, again, I think of Mother Teresa and and beginning her work in Calcutta and and caring for uh, this man who's dying, who's left literally in the gutter, caring for him, and, and how she was able to truly see 
Jesus Christ in this man. Um, and, and reflecting exactly what Jesus says here in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Um, and that, that realization that she had and that we all can have is that it's not just a chance, as you said, to uh, avoid hell, although that's a good thing. Um, and that, that's, it's worthy enough to do it to avoid hell. Um, but also that I can meet Jesus, I can care for Jesus, I can touch Jesus um, in his distressing disguise of the poor, is the way Mother Teresa described it. Yeah, say that again, the, the what? Uh, Mother Teresa referred to it as loving Jesus in his distressing disguise of the poor. In the distress, distressing disguise of the poor, that, that we see him present in them. And not just, that's not us projecting, that's us recognizing. And, and how is he present? This is one of the, I remember from um, John Paul II's first encyclical, Pope St. John Paul II, uh, him again quoting as he would numerous times throughout his pontificate from Vatican II, the teaching that Jesus has in some way united himself to every man, every human being by virtue of the incarnation. So when he took on human nature, when he shared in our form of existence as a man, as a human being, he somehow united himself to each and every human being. And therefore, we, we should be able to um, if we have the eyes of faith and the eyes of love, we should be able to see Christ present in every man, woman, and child, whatever their condition, whatever their age, whatever their status in life. Christ, we should be able to see him present to us through everyone we see. And to help sharpen that vision, the church has has taught uh, you know, throughout the centuries of things such as the corporal and spiritual works of mercy as ways to uh, to give us practical, you know, a practical to-do list that we learn by doing in that regard. Um, and uh, uh, those are just great little things to keep in mind in that way, little things to memorize if you're looking for a way to, you know, you put this in action a little bit, uh, is just to memorize the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. And you can, you can find them if you just do an internet search for them, you'll find them. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, the the authoritative presentation of what the Church teaches on virtually everything. Uh, it's in paragraph 2447, uh, where you'll find uh, reference to the, the, the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Corporal works of mercy meaning physical, bodily, would that be right, Father? That's right, that's right. Having to do with the body, the Latin word for body, the, uh, corporal. Uh, think of in an army, a corporal might make up part of the body of the army. Oh, there, yeah. I, I never made that connection. Thank you. Oh, good uh, to serve. So, so the, the for the the corporal works of mercy: feeding the hungry, sheltering the homeless, clothing the naked, visiting the sick and imprisoned, and burying the dead. All ways right. that we exercise mercy for people in their physical need. Correct. And then the spiritual works of mercy: instructing the ignorant, counseling the doubtful, admonishing sinners. Bearing wrongs patiently, that's a tough one. Uh, forgive offenses willingly, maybe tougher. Uh, comfort the afflicted and pray for the living and the dead. Right. Always that we, again, these are called the works of mercy, so things we can do. And there are a number of, I don't have them in front of me right now, but I've got a couple books books on my bookshelf talking about the, the works of mercy. There are a number of resources out there devoted to unpacking this topic and looking at um, how we as Catholics in the 21st century can can practice them and live them out more often. Right. Because we have a duty, I mean, a responsibility to live them out from uh, that passage of our Lord from Matthew 25, 
the reason he can judge us on it and separate us as uh, sheep from goats is because we, we have a duty to do it. Right. This is right? again, if we're going to follow him, this is this is part love God and love your neighbor. This is loving our neighbor, particularly those who are maybe in most need of love because um, maybe there's nobody else to love that. But that's by the way, one of the, the things that strikes me the most is because um, I was just talking about this recently in connection with a, a talk I was doing on the anointing of the sick, how the church hmm. very early on Christians were, hmm. you know, they'll know yeah. us by your love. The, the, fa- the, uh, the care that Christians had for their neighbors, maybe who were pagans, most of them, um, right. but were suffering from the various plagues throughout the city of Rome, for instance. In many ways, that's, what's, that's what drove the conversion of the Roman Empire, um, certainly of the city of Rome, to Christianity over the course of decades and centuries, but the care that, that Christians had uh, for those who were sick, for those who were poor, regardless of their creed, regardless of their condition. Uh, and care for them, ev- caring even for their persecutors. Right. You right. think of some of the, uh, during the plague situations, especially when whole cities or regions would be shut down by uh, horrific plagues, that Christians would stay in the plague zone to care for those who were sick. And sometimes you had people who you know, we're persecuting the Christian now being cared for by the Christian. Right. And, and just, I mean, just, can you imagine that? Oh my gosh, look at that. And just that, 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 I don't know, wow factor to be, I don't know, silly about it maybe a little bit, but, th- but that really did lead people to, to look more closely at what this, this religion from the backwaters of the empire was all about. So you're saying that they will know we are Christians by our love? That's what I hear. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, but there is that, that it, and it's both a communal responsibility and also a personal responsibility that we have as Christians. So it's 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 the, the Catholic both well, and again. I that I have I as a follower of Jesus Christ have a responsibility to the, it's the preferential option for the poor. How can I love the poor in my midst, whether it's spiritual poverty or physical poverty? Uh, but also we as as the body of Christ as Christians have a communal responsibility. Um, you know the many parts, one body, uh, the, the different gifts that we have, we're called, we are called to put them to work to care for those in need around us. And it's the personal responsibility first building to the communal responsibility. Oh, say, say that again? It's the personal responsibility first building into the yes. communal responsibility. Right. right. And so you would have the personal responsibility even if you were the only Christian soul left on earth. You would still have this responsibility. Exactly. Yes. Um, even if there's no Christian community anymore. Right, right. And so maybe, you know, I, I think of maybe uh, somebody like Blessed Charles de Foucault uh, in North Africa mm. in the early 20th century, who who's the only uh, Christian for miles, at least around him. And he had this, he, he, he'd had and, and exercised this responsibility to love those in need around him. And, and, and they recognized him as a Christian for it. So how do we, uh, living today, then find ways to fulfill this obligation, to fulfill this responsibility to maybe to, uh, um, uh, say, fulfill our destiny in that regard to we, uh, we have a destiny that we need to fulfill to love and care for the poor, spiritually and corporately. Right. How right. do we do it? Well, I think maybe one thing that, that we talked about one way, we, <laughs> we, maybe we talk about what we don't do. Uh, mm-hmm. or, or how we don't do it to begin with. I think sometimes it's easy for us because I've I've been here, done that, been there, done that. Um, 
I, I've excused myself from that responsibility mm-hmm. in the past because, well, maybe that's somebody else's job or, well, maybe, well, I'm doing that by the taxes I pay. I mean, that's why I pay taxes because uh, that, that's the responsibility of my, my city government, my state government, my, lo- my, my federal national government, whatever it is. Um, they're the ones who are supposed to care for the poor. I, I don't know anybody who's poor. My friends are all pretty well off. So I pay taxes to care for the poor and that's fulfilling my obligation. Um, that's not, no, no, it doesn't, right? No, it does not. You know, when you're saying that, I uh, hear you saying that. I, I'm thinking back to the book of Genesis and the story of Cain and Abel. Oh. And God looks, goes looking for Abel, and uh, and Cain says to him, you know, what, am I, brother, am I my brother's keeper? Right. And in fact, right? yes, you are. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. And so where is he, you know? Um, I mean, as a Christian, do you know where the poor in your town are? Right. Or do you just kind of suffice with the fact that, oh, someone else is going to take care of it. Um, I know talking with um, with Bishop Swain amongst the priests, just uh, in his conversation, when, when they're bringing forth the Bishop Dudley Hospitality House, you know, they met some resistance in this way from some people, you know, uh, kind of almost saying like, well, you know, we're not that poor around here, or, you know, um, there's, not, there's not a need for this. And, and people in some ways maybe reflexively running from the situation. Right, right. Yeah, instead of recognizing that, no, we, (laughs) there are poor among us and we should be aware of that. And then it is my responsibility and our responsibility to care for them. And I can't excuse myself by saying, well, that's why I pay taxes. Right. Um, I, I, you know, the other thing too, Father, I, I, I think especially for, because the church is so, uh, does so much work this way. I, as a Catholic, I shouldn't excuse myself from this. Well, that's, that, that's, that's why I, I pay tithes. You know, that's why I give money to the churches to care for the poor. And we, we should do that. Uh, we should give to whether it's our parish or, or the diocese or, or, or various charitable organizations, whether Catholic or not. That's a good thing to do. And yet we still should be, to some degree, in some way, personally involved in caring for those in need around us um, uh, to, that, to that point. Right. Because I think one of the things we have to keep in mind is um, what is the end? What is the purpose of our care for the poor? Is it simply just to feed them, to shelter them? Right. Or is something else uh, in mind? Does, does our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the master teacher, does he have something else in mind in this regard by asking us to, uh, to feed the poor? That's a great question. What's the answer? Well, he does have something else in mind. He has in mind our own growth in love, our, the growth of charity in our hearts, that our hearts, our hearts would become like his own heart, which burns with love for all souls. So we're, again, the two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor. I am supposed to love those around me, and I'm not loving those around me, especially those in need, by the virtue of the fact that I pay taxes that I have no choice to pay. I mean, I, I think on April 15th is probably not a day of a great surge of love of God and neighbor. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and again, you know? I mean, I, 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 it's good. I, I think it's important the church, uh, well— 
it's it's a good thing that we have the social safety net. Uh, I'm not I'm not in any way saying that we shouldn't have a social safety net. What I'm saying is for us as Christians, for us as Catholics, that doesn't suffice because of this point that we're making right now that we are right. called to love our neighbor and my paying taxes is not an act. I, I could make it an act of love, but simply by paying taxes that's not an act of love simply by doing it because it's obligatory. I have no choice. Right, right, because you, you, you'll face uh, uh, fines and jail time if you don't pay exactly. your federal and state taxes. Yes. <laughs> um, whereas uh, there is no, on earth, there is no punishment for not loving your neighbor, but there is eternal punishment for not loving right. your neighbor. In fact, I thought about that, that eternal. I thought about that earlier. I think, didn't Archbishop Charles Chaput, the Archbishop yeah. of Philadelphia, say um, that many people uh, are, are on the path to hell or will go to hell because of their failure to love or care for the poor? Yeah, and he would uh, he would say that when he was in Denver, when I was in seminary in Denver, and uh, they had uh, a Respect Life Mass in October, and I think they had all the bishops from Colorado there at that Mass, and um, at one point he was actually pounding the ambo, saying, if we do not love the poor, we will go to hell. Um, and then I think like the headline was something about like, uh, Archbishop Hughes says something about abortion. Right. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> totally missed the point missed of the homily the on the on the secular press there. Right. Um, the, you know, the, when, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yes. But um, yeah, I mean, we need to, to to love the poor, and so we can't just look for you know. Well, you know, would it be great if we had social solutions or government solutions that cared for all the poor? Yeah, it'd be great, but something still be missing, and that's the charity and love of your own heart. And, you know, what a cost would that be? And, and I think we'd, we wouldn't be looking with the eyes of faith if we just looked and said, um, you know, oh, we got to just end all, end all poverty by, uh, you know, some government program. If we didn't say, it'd be much better to end all poverty through love of God and neighbor in the hearts of every man, woman, and child in this country. Right. Right. And that's also not just for our own sake as those seeking to help others, but also for them those for those who are being helped. I mean, many people in these situations have, have testified to this, if you will, um, that, that when, when they receive assistance from somebody, like literally from a face, like from someone actually helping them, how much more it means to them and the real benefit it has. There's a real difference it makes as opposed to some anonymous government handout. Right. I mean, it's, it's much for, for those receiving the aid. You know, you think about uh, some of those families now or, or various people that might be using the Bishop Dudley Hospitality House, that there's a human face, a person they can connect with right. in that regard. Um, they have much more gratitude in their own hearts, which having gratitude in your own heart makes you much more likely to pray, uh, to thank God, to love God, and yourself to return love to your neighbor. Right. I'm thinking right now, there was a, a a YouTube clip that ran around of uh, a guy who gave $100 to someone on the streets and then from a distance using uh, a camera followed the guy and saw what he did with the $100. And uh, the man on the streets went and took the $100 and bought a bunch of groceries and went back out on the streets to some of his friends uh, who were also homeless and started handing out food to his own friends. Wow. Oh, isn't that beautiful? That is beautiful. That's just gorgeous. I mean, and so how, you know, just uh, generosity of some punk, you know, college student, uh, and I say that with love, um, <laughs> but that generosity 
um, how it sparked gener- gratitude and how gratitude self sparked generosity in the heart of the uh, of the person who was helped. Right. Right. Um, and so, and, and when you're getting it, and when you're getting it because maybe you feel like uh, you deserve it, right? You're getting it because you're supposed to get it type of thing, you know, that, well, there's a law that says I'm supposed to get this. Um, it's a little different than when it's a free act of love. Right. In that way, in, in the heart of the receiver of the aid. Right, right. So for us, that's us as as those giving the aid and recognizing, recognizing the dignity uh, of of the human person, and 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 we're helping them in a way that obviously we're thinking of their material need, but it's also responding to their transcendent value as well by by meeting them person to person, as opposed to just pawning it off to 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 someone, someone else. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, also thinking in this, you know, um, even if we were to make like some sort of utterly um, just society all on its own, like, you know, we figured out a way, an economic system or a rule of governance or something like that, if we didn't solve that problem of evil and greediness and lack of charity in the hearts of men and women, that there'd probably be greedy and devious people that find ways to still consolidate uh, power and aid to themselves uh, at the expense of others. Right, right, right. So, Father, we got about two minutes left, and I know there's there's a final point that you want to make that I'll make sure that we have oh, yeah, give, yeah. give sufficient time to. Um, so, what was what was the final point that that you had? Because I want to make I thought it was a great one. Well, I, I think um, just to remember as Christians when we're thinking about this that um, we're going to see this sort of change and help and aid to people to the extent that hearts are converted uh, to love of God. So say more. So the hearts. So hearts need to be converted and continually converted. Why? Say more about that. Right. Well, because um, just looking at it on its own from just like a purely materialistic perspective or an atheistic perspective, uh, there's very little motivation or need uh, to give anyone anything. Right. But once we realize that we all, in a sense, are beggars of God, the creator of the universe, that we all are beggars of God uh, because of our sin, which utterly disqualifies us from anything. And God and his goodness, his generosity, his mercy gives us everything, his very son in return, um, that that generates a greater, uh, the only sustainable generosity. Right. Because all other generosities will fail when we start to get into this well, you know, I need this more, or I can't go without. And and we even find that in our own lives as, you know, if we're trying to be a generous Christian, that we might come up against some question where you say like, well, I don't know if I can do this because I might need it more. Right. I can't give to the poor because I might need it more right. myself. So our, we need to grow in conversion in our dependence upon God. Uh, and And the more we do that, the more we will more freely, more ably give to others. Amen. Amen. Um, I, I just, to me, this is such an important point about how we reach out to those around us and those in need, Father. Um, and I think there's so much we could be said, but but uh, I think we'll leave it at that. Just we'll put pro- a, Sorry, go ahead. One last thing. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, and if, if you feel moved, you want to give to the Bishop Dudley Hospitality House, you can go to bdhh.org and look for a way to maybe make your own small contribution to that wonderful effort of charity.
Amen. And with that, we will wrap up this episode. Again, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org. Tweet to us, sfdiocese, use the hashtag ignition with any questions you have for future episodes. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find archives of this and past episodes online at sfcatholic.org. Click on Media and then Audio Files. You can also subscribe to the Ignition Podcast in the iTunes Store. Remember to tune in every Thursday afternoon at 2 o'clock on Lamb Catholic Radio on 91.3 FM in Hartford and Sioux Falls and on 88.9 FM in Ipswich and Aberdeen or online at lambradio.com.